Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Welcome back, guys. Um, this is Hunter, and I, I am happy to share with you this morning. Um, well, it's morning for me. Yeah. We are going to be um, finishing out 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. And um, as we do so, we, we do well to remember a bit of where we've, where we've been, because this is going to be kind of us passing the halfway point of Peter's letter. At the beginning of his letter, Peter introduced us to the idea of suffering. It, it's some, something he communicated when our, is that when our temporary suffering, um, it, it is not going to be wasted. And that suffering pales in comparison with the magnitude of our hope in Jesus. As a result of, of that reality, we should be motivated toward Christian living in our public and private lives, which uh, Jesse has shared a lot about recently. As Peter said in regards to submitting to authority, for what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So, Peter has not moved on from discussing suffering. It, it, quite on the contrary, he's going he's gonna to pace this conversation towards the end of his letter. In many ways, as we get to the center point of the letter, like the, the turning point, Peter has even more to say about suffering and its implications in our lives. I must confess, uh, when I started the process of this lesson, this lesson was originally going to be much more um, material as far as Scripture goes. Um, we actually were going to do most of First Peter 4 alongside this section. But uh, as, as I continued to study it and look at it, um, it, it just kind of became more and more evident to me that there was going to be too much, too much material um, for the amount of time that we, we would have. And so the decision was made to split this lesson. So now we are going to be in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in, in verse 8, which says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, 
Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience walked, waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and at the right hand of God, angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. At the beginning of this section, Peter uh, introduces this new thought by, by saying, finally. And this term here, it, he is introducing a new thought, but he is linking that thought. And this final group of people that he wants to address, he has just addressed I'm submitting to authority, husbands and wives, and, and um, servants and masters. Uh, and it is going to be connected to his teaching on submitted to those. But he, it, he has told citizens and servants to be subject. And Jesse shared, well, that they are challenged to both live out a, a representative lifestyle, live out their faith in the midst of a situation where maybe it would be unfavorable to do so in many ways. Um, but also, they're given honor by, by Peter's words. And, and as such, uh, we, we understand that while we do submit to those authorities, um, our ultimate authority is Jesus. And so he, he tells these citizens and servants to submit, he discusses the mutual submission of husbands and wives. And having done this, he now turns and addresses a final group, which he has uh, called as all of you, which would seem to include the previous groups as well. Um, all of his recipients, remember, Peter was writing a letter here, um, and really all believers, when, when we receive this as part of our scripture, would do well to receive his instructions, which are as follow. Have unity of mind, have sympathy for one another, show brotherly love, have a tender heart, and have a humble mind. These ideals, these, these charges from Peter, they actually form kind of a, a chiasm, a structure, meaning that, that the first idea is related to the last, and they work towards the center point, which is kind of the hinge of the whole thing. Um, which in this case is brotherly love. Peter tells us to have unity of mind. And and I want to note, if you've ever gotten any group of people together, even people that agree with one another on, on 
many things, it's, it's significantly difficult to have unity of mind. It's a reminder. Christians need to be told to have unity too. Just because we have Christ doesn't mean we have unity. It should, but it does not always follow. Unity of mind is a challenge to all believers. And how can we get there? How do we get this unity of mind? This He's not saying that we have to agree on everything. Rather, it's this notion that having held our disagreements in those gray areas of our faith and lives, um, we reach a point where we choose to deal well with each other and, and choose to uphold unity. That might mean setting aside our desire to be right in those situations or increasing our ability to admit we are wrong. How do we proceed then? What Peter says about how our minds should be characterized is helpful. He, he links having unity of mind to having a humble mind. Uh, we cannot, as believers, have unity of mind unless we are humble-minded. And again, humble-mindedness means being willing to be wrong, being willing to compromise our opinions for the sake of unity. Now, any person who has who is read and continued to read in Peter knows that when, when we start talking about compromising opinions, it is, not, it is not compromising the truth of the gospel. Peter has a lot to say about that gospel towards the end of his letter. But it, it is setting aside the things that we care about in the moment to take a moment to think about what our fellow brothers and sisters might care about most in that case. Next, believers are challenged to live with sympathy for one another. This then is tied to the corresponding portion of the chiasm, which is a tender heart. Quite literally, a heart that feels much for another. Also, I would note that if you have a tender heart and you're sympathetic to your brothers and sisters, um, I I think it's going to be pretty difficult to not want to pursue some level of unity. The result of humble minds and tender hearts is brotherly love, the focus of submission, and the driving force for where Peter is going as he continues his, his discussion regarding suffering. And when we have these, not just toward our fellow believers, we can, as Peter challenges us, not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but bless them. When someone does evil to you, to many of Peter's original recipients, this meant that they had caused them significant amounts of suffering up to them being displaced from their homes and their lives. Again, they had to leave their homeland, for, for goodness sakes, because of this. And it can be incredibly hard in those moments when someone has done that, not to play the game and get back at them and and return the favor, if you will. Peter's words here echo those of our Savior years earlier in his life um, as he addressed a hillside of followers regarding life in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Bless them instead. For in Christ you were called to this. Peter reminds them here, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless. That's, I imagine that as Peter pens this, he remembers the words of his Savior on that hillside that day. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that when we do that, when we are able to express love, not just for our brothers and sisters in Christ, but for our enemies, we are exhibiting something of the character of the Father who loves and gives rain on the just and the unjust. We endure suffering, we don't seek revenge, and we are told there is a blessing. But it's kind of counterintuitive. Like, how does me enduring suffering produce a blessing? Maybe a more important question is, what is a blessing? To discuss this further, Peter takes a passage from Psalms to discuss it. He says in verse 10, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter quotes a portion of Psalm 34 to discuss this idea of blessing. And it's fitting because Psalm 34 is a psalm that David wrote as an act of thanksgiving and praise for his narrow escape from someone named Abimelech. Psalm 34 is also one of these curious psalms where there is a little bit of debate in it. Um, Many believe that this is when David pretended to be crazed and narrowly escaped Achish, king of Gath, in 1 Samuel 21. Those were the days before David had fully even realized his kingship. He was on the run. He was fleeing for his life from King Saul. He was dispersed, if you will due to King Saul's desires to kill him. He was suffering at the hands of evil. He had had evil done to him, and as a result, he fled to Gath, where the king then realizes, oh man, this is David, and that Saul guy has been pursuing him for some time, and and the king of Gath gets worried and starts to talk and gather information on this David guy. And David gets word and, and we are told in 1 Samuel that he changes his behavior before Achish. And he decides, the king decides not to detain him and allows David to go free. This is the story that many believe is linked to David's words in the Psalms. And David's response is to make his boast in the Lord. 
I would like to read just a little more from, from the psalm itself. To give us a little bit fuller of a picture of, of David's words here. Psalm 34, starting in verse 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Peter, here, in in quoting this psalm, connects God's ability to deliver David, God's grace to David, to God's blessing to believers who do well, love their brother, and return a blessing for the evil they receive. And when he quotes this, at the end, he makes the connection. We do what is right. Bless those who curse, because God looks on the righteous and the unrighteous and inclines his ear to hear their prayers. When we do what is right and and we receive a blessing, not necessarily in this life. Now, sometimes we do, but the blessing is the favor of our God, having done the thing that God wanted us to do. When we seek to do what is right, to love when we are put through suffering and we are tempted to repay evil, we end a cycle of prolonging suffering. If, if someone steals from me, and this is, I believe, at the heart of what Jesus was saying about retaliation. If someone steals my tunic, and my response is, at night, later, I'm going to go steal it back and maybe take a little extra to get back at them. It, it, it produces a cycle of sin, and as a result, a cycle of suffering. Jesus, and as a result of Jesus' teaching, Peter in his letter to his suffering brothers and sisters says, when we choose to love, instead of repaying evil for evil, we end a cycle of prolonging suffering. We cut it off. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Rather, Peter is challenging us to do righteousness. As a result, that's how we receive the blessing, which is God's favor in our lives. Why? Like, how can just be doing the right thing, pursuing the righteousness of God, how, can, how do we experience a blessing from that? Again, it is favor. David wrote, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears and his ears are inclined to their prayer. Literally, his ears are bent towards them as they pray. The blessing is the favor of God. It is God looking on us and and viewing us favorably. It is one where God looks us now in right position before him through the work of Jesus Christ and in agreement with his will through our actions motivated by the Holy Spirit. Our ways, when we choose this, are in agreement with what God cares about. We are in in agreement with God's nature and his character, as Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. This is contrasted with those who do not live righteously. 
they do evil, and the face of the Lord is against them. Now, they still receive general blessings from God, poured out on God's creation, but the face of the Lord is, is not inclined toward them. God does not view them with favor because they are living against what he had desires. As believers, those who've put our faith in Christ, no amount of suffering is worse than God's favor being against us. Peter knows something about this. When we seek to live out brotherly love, when we seek to bless those who do evil to us, we may receive God's favor, but we often won't experience the favor of those around us. Quite on the contrary, Peter writes, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Verse 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Peter notes something that is a very, very important thing to come to realization as a believer. And that is this. Sometimes we will suffer for doing good. When Peter says if, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek because he is writing to a group of Christians who have already suffered. So it's kind of as if, listen guys, we're going to enter the hypothetical think space. If you are suffering for doing good, he's asking them to put their brains in that for a moment. If we are zealous for what is good, I want to note zealousness or being zealous, something that is not highly valued in our culture. Um, I think the equivalent, the cultural equivalent would be fanaticism. Like, oh man, he's a, he's a sports fanatic. But, the idea of zeal for what is good, like it's a deep, deep care and motivation and, and desire to see that good done. And it says, if we are zealous for what is good, and as a result, in the previous section, God's eyes are inclined toward us and his ear hears our prayer. Peter says, who can really harm you? Now, I want to note, a lot of people can harm us physically, emotionally, but Peter has already noted something at the beginning of his letter, and that is this, that God keeps those who are his. And so while we may undergo physical suffering and harm or emotional distress and suffering, often related to our faith in Christ, Peter repeats, if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, doing what is right in the eyes of God, you will be blessed. Blessed in part as a result of being in agreement with the desire of your Savior, but blessed also with a future blessing, an inheritance, which Peter described in chapters 1 and 2. No one can take that. They can't remove it. And as a result, we are encouraged to have no fear of those who would cause us harm. 
Don't be troubled by the one who would harm you. That's tough. That's difficult. Especially if you know that they are going to harm you. How do we do that? How do we go to work? Live for Jesus. Be an example to Christ. And we know that there are a handful of people who, just at the mere mention of our Savior, they, they will set their eyes and their sights against us. That can be difficult. How do we keep doing what is right, knowing it will result in harm and not worry? How do we not be afraid of that? It's tough. Like, it's very difficult. And I believe that's why Peter uses the word zealousness. Because zeal isn't something that just happens. It isn't just merely enthusiasm. It isn't just commitment. But it seems to bring them together in a unique way. Zeal is an unwavering pursuit of an ideal or goal despite the obstacles. Christian zeal for doing good in the face of suffering is tied to the hope we have in Jesus. Because zeal in Jesus seeks to honor Jesus above all else. It says, yep, I know there's those people. I know that this person is going to make fun of me, is going to make my job more difficult, simply because I represent Jesus. And and I choose to do so anyway. It sets Jesus apart in our lives in such a way that when we are faced with suffering, we are able to cling to our hope. We are clinging to our Savior. Something happens when we set Jesus apart as holy in our lives. When we face suffering, especially at the hands of those who wish evil on us, and we are motivated by our zeal to do what is right, we endure suffering. We, we take it head on. And choose not to play the game. We're not going to play with the game. We're not going to retaliate. One, when we do those things, in short, when we represent Jesus well, one of the blessings we experience is our hope being witnessed by others. They see it and they go, my goodness. You know, normally when someone's treated that way, they respond and they lash out. But not you. They see Christians not retaliate. See them choose to love. See the suffering and notice that it doesn't worry them. It doesn't trouble them. And they wonder, what makes you so okay in this? And and our answer, and Peter's answer, it is the hope we have in Jesus. Peter tells his readers and us today to be ready always to make a defense of the hope within us. Again, he said that to a group of displaced believers. Be ready, even when you are in the middle of your suffering, to tell someone of the hope you have in Jesus. Peter introduced his letter, saying this hope is a hope tied to the saving work of Christ the conquering work of his resurrection, and the future revelation of Jesus when the kingdom comes in full. Be ready to share that hope. And and I want to note here, before we continue, um, this is one of those verses in the Bible where anytime I get to it, I feel not not as if I have to make an apology, um, 
but as if I, I want to make a note on it. This is one of those verses that has often um, been used or, or maybe has been, has been put out there as a reason for um, walloping people with other scriptures. Well, Jesus told me, Peter told me to be ready to share my hope. And, and yes, we should. But I, but I want to know the modifying attitudes that Peter says here. He says to do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Share your hope in such a way that when someone speaks ill of you or reviles you, they see how you live. I would argue they see the brotherly love that you have for them. And they say, that's not true. That's not consistent with who I know them to be. It's a charge not only to share our hope by our words, but to share it through our lives, which is why I do believe Peter has introduced this section with a list of to-dos for the Christian. And in, this, and in the face of suffering, that's a tall order. <laughs> that's zeal. That's zeal for righteousness, zeal for sharing our hope. So when one would raise a charge against us, they would say, say what you will, but they love their brother. They turned the other cheek. They clung to their hope in Jesus, and they were gentle and respectful, even despite awful things being said to and of them. Zeal is where Christian conduct meets suffering. And guess what? Even if you squash the credibility of their slander through your actions, Peter acknowledges you will face suffering. We have this reminder, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It is always God's will for us to do what is right. And sometimes when we do what is right, we suffer as a result. And even then, it is God's will for us to do what is right. It doesn't change. Even if we know we will suffer for doing good, Peter tells us we should not do what is evil. Even if doing so would alleviate our present suffering. As Peter closes out this argument regarding Christian living in the face of suffering, he turns to the person of Jesus for an example. He is our ultimate example. Of doing what is right in the face of suffering, and, and he is going to use an image from the Old Testament to do so. But I, I want to leave you now with, with this notion. Do good. If you, are, if you are going through trial, Jesus says, love the way God loved. Live as children of your Father despite suffering. You may be tempted to choose to lean into sin, to alleviate present suffering, and the words of Peter and Jesus stand. Be zealous for what is good. 
have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to that you were called. Thank you, guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.